Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of On the Hour at the Clock Tower here on WECS Radio 90.1 with Brian Dossler and Damon Gray. And boy, oh boy, do we have a stock full of stuff to talk about on this Tuesday morning. 30 degrees here in Willimantic with about four or five inches of snow on the ground here at Eastern Connecticut State, Eastern Connecticut State University. But... Happy spring. Yeah, happy spring, huh? I'm actually legitimately upset that there is white stuff on the ground, Damon. It actually like it's there. Mm, and when I woke up about it. when I woke up, it was still there. Yeah. That's how snow works. <laughs> well, no, because two days ago Yeah, snowed, it was, but then it was sixty degrees. It was well, the weirdest hey, day ever. It's not so, we're not hitting sixty until Saturday and it's gonna be like fifty nine if that. Uh, Yeah, so the snow is throwing a lot of curveballs into the spring schedule for Eastern sports as it could be a situation last year where, who knows, the baseball team, maybe they'll play at different uh, places that had artificial turfs, such as Central Connecticut State University. That's where they they played a couple games there last year. I believe they went to University of Hartford. Uh, Might even gone up to uh, Wheaton College as well, so uh, we'll see. Uh, they're supposed to have a game tomorrow uh, versus Bridgewater State at 3.30, but if you take a look outside, it's kind of difficult to play baseball in the snow. Uh, but big, big, big shot last night by Chris Jenkins. Everyone knows about it. I'll talk about that and dive into the national championship game. Damon Gray will have his embrace it or hate it. Yesterday was our day two. It was try number two of opening day in Major League Baseball as, uh, of course, opening night. Or opening day consists of Mets versus the Royals. Uh, the 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 Blue Jays and the Rays played on that day and one other game. And then uh, now today we have Red Sox and Yankees. They'll start off their seasons. Was that not the world's longest pregame ceremony you've ever seen? It's about how forty-eight it's minutes. Oh, it's so dragged on. They didn't even do the rings. Thank God. Could you imagine doing the rings did? today? Doing the rings today. Oh. Could you imagine if they did? That would have been an hour and a half. You know, if you're a Royals fan, though, you don't care. No, at, yeah, at that point, at that you, point, you it's like, all right, let's, let's, let's play some ball. You do not care. Let's play some ball. I don't want to see some billionaires get some million-dollar rings here. I'm saying if you're a Royals fan, though, and you're watching highlight videos from last year, and I mean, pretty much the entire team is back. I mean, the whole the starting yeah, but nine was completely the same. that's on national TV. It's like, at that point, it's like, all right, let's get, let's get to right. some baseball here. Uh, so again, Red Sox and Yankees start, have their opening days today. Red Sox are in Cleveland. Yankees are home versus Houston. Uh, we'll have play of the week. Don't really have to look too far for that. Uh, feel free to call on the show. 860-456-2164. Once again, 860-456-2164. We're going to quickly start with Eastern sports as let's start out with the two lacrosse teams, Damon, the men's lacrosse team. They've won four straight games and their last game, they defeat the Huskies of Southern Maine and the Little East Conference over 10-8. to But here's what's impressive about the win. Eight different players scored in that game. Yeah, ever since uh, some of their all-time leading scorers like Mike Devine left to his second all-time, just only a few goals behind uh, the all-time leading scorer at Eastern Connecticut. After he left, it's been more of kind of like that team effort, more of a balanced team rather than an uh, a one-trick pony kind of thing. And, and you can argue both ways if that's better or worse, but certainly, yeah, that's very impressive. It was a 10-8 victory. It was a close game throughout. Score tied at 
seven to seven in the fourth quarter. David Borowski and Cody Carbone each scored a goal to give Eastern Connecticut that 10-8 victory. Uh, Liam Murphy, uh, our social media graphic designer, had two goals in that game. And on a prior note against Wheaton College last Wednesday, so six days ago, Blake Smalldome, the goalkeeper for Eastern Connecticut, tied the program record with 25 saves in that game. 25 stops. Yeah, uh, it didn't feel like it at times, but there were certainly more big saves in that one than I can recall than calling any game uh, that he's started. And it's it's kind of unreal some some of the stops that he's made just point blank and he doesn't mind throwing the body in there because you have to I mean you have to imagine some of these guys are whipping that ball in at 90 plus miles an hour right yeah. and you're just it's taking, coming in hot you're just taking it at that point you're hoping like that big butterfly and it just catches it because if not ugh. but um no that, that was certainly a very impressive performance but I mean they're making two three goal games entertainment wise very entertaining but these are games that they used to just blow these teams out year after year and they aren't doing that anymore. So it's either showing that the rest of the conference is catching up or they may be missing those all-time goal scorers like they had with Divine. Uh, or excuse me, before we move on to women's lacrosse, their next game for the men's lacrosse team is Saturday at Salem State. Their next home game is not for a couple of weeks as uh, April 16th will be a conference matchup between the Corsairs of UMass Dartmouth. On to women's lacrosse. They're also on a, on a multiple-game winning streak. They have a three-game winning streak. Uh, their last came their last game was a win versus Southern Maine on the road. And how about this, Damon? It's their fifth win of the season. They're five and four, and we're nine games in. They've already surpassed their win total from last year. Just yeah, four wins. Definitely last year. an improvement. Uh, I guess you could say you saw this coming with the field hockey team and the women's lacrosse team. Some of those teams kind of go hand in hand with the player. Uh, transition conversion. It's Pace also one of, those, one of those players. Yeah, it's also one of those sports that you also draw in players from other sports, like Maggie Boddington from uh, the women's soccer team, All American. Um, yeah, so it, it's it is one of those that you can see if other sports improve, you can kind of predict that that one will as well, and it certainly paid off for them. Sure has. Uh, so the as I mentioned, they've already surpassed their win total from last year. And this is a program that hasn't had more than five wins since the 2013 season with seven wins. Uh, we also mentioned Paige Snyder, the field hockey star, uh, can score some goals in women's across as well. Recorded her sixth hat, hat trick in seven games against the Huskies. She's fourth in Little East Conference in goals with 22 on the season. Uh, and the next game for the women's lacrosse team at Gordon College on Saturday, their next home game will be a week from today versus Framingham State. So make sure you come out to support the Warriors in that one. Moving over to the Diamond, the smaller version softball, the 3-11 Warriors struggling this season. They're on a two-game losing streak. Their doubleheader versus UMass Boston was postponed because of rain. The makeup date has yet to be announced. Uh, so it's been a while since they played. It was actually a week ago today, uh, their last two games where they got swept by Trinity College, one nothing and 3-2. to uh, The uh, A highlight going for the Warriors is a couple weeks ago now, Junior Southball Summer Cipriana was named LEC Pitcher of the Week. She went 2-1, and one, throwing 21 innings, 22 hits, although 17 of them were singles. Uh, Through her first career shutout versus Milliken University, that's in Illinois, where she went 7 innings, 6 hits, 1 walk, and recorded 4 strikeouts. So on the schedule, it says that the Eastern Warriors are playing Sava Regina on Thursday. We'll see what Mother Nature says about that. Of course, with snow on the ground, it's supposed to rain heavily on Thursday. And uh, they have a and the or excuse me the, the makeup doubleheader versus UMass Boston is scheduled for Sunday, um, but again we'll see with, with the weather. And lastly, for to, to wrap up Eastern sports, the baseball team 
Uh, they are 9-5, and five, have yet to play a Louis Conference game as well as their doubleheader was rained out, uh, and it's supposed to be made up on Sunday. They're, they're supposed to have a lot of games. They're supposed to have a doubleheader on Saturday versus Keene State and the doubleheader versus the Beacons on Sunday. Uh, their last game, we saw them here at home. They defeated Southern Regina in 10 innings, a walk-off single by Chad Adams, his second of the season and third of his Eastern Connecticut career. Uh, and as I mentioned, a couple of postponements already. And uh, their game on Monday versus MIT was, was snowed out. I mean, how about this, Damon? On Saturday, they're rained out, and then on Monday, they're snowed out. Welcome to New England. <laughs> Uh, it's it's lovely living up in the Northeast sometimes. Good news is the lights are back up. That is good. That's true. Just don't fall down again. No, nah, they should be fine. They're not cemented this time. Yeah. Uh, so, again, their next game is supposed to be 3.30 tomorrow, weather depending, snow depending, and uh, I mentioned the two doubleheaders. And they are sixth in, in-, in the New England region, according to yesterday's poll for D3. Let's move on to college basketball and the national championship. One champion has been crowned, the Villanova Wildcats from the men's side. The women's championship will be crowned tonight, either the UConn Huskies or the UConn Huskies. I mean, Syracuse Orange Orange Woman, uh, as, as they'll be going for their 11th national title in school history. But talk about this Villanova game. What a finish it was. It was this, I mean, Villanova has, has shot spectacular this entire entire tournament. Uh, they shot 71% against Oklahoma. Dismantled the Sooners by 44 points. The most lopsided game in Final Four men's basketball history. And again, when you shoot 71% and you score 95 points, it's going to most likely look lopsided. They shot 58% in this game. Still a very high clip. Still a very, very high clip. Uh, And certainly the Chris Jenkins buzzer beater will be a shot that will be remembered forever. But we talk about how big, how runs are a huge part of the game of basketball. Let me break you down the runs in this game. Because North Carolina, they're up, they're up, uh, in they're leading going into halftime. They're up 39 to 34. But the play of the first half, uh, really came in the last 10 seconds because North Carolina had just scored. They were getting the ball back off a rebound, and it seems like it would be another transition basket for the Tar Heels. But Josh Hart makes a huge block in transition, a huge, huge block. Villanova gets the ball back, and at the buzzer, Phil Booth hits a jumper to cut the deficit to five. So it's a four-point swing, you figure, because had – UNC score, they'd be up nine, but instead Villanova is down five going into the break. So that momentum carries over, and in the first about 16 minutes of the first half, excuse me, of the second half, or excuse me, Villanova goes on a 33-18 to run, a 33-18 to run. We saw this Wildcats team go on a 25-0 run to start the second half against Oklahoma. So, again, first 16 minutes, 33 to 18 run and all of a sudden from being down four at halftime excuse me five at halftime to now being up 10 with under five minutes to go in the national championship game you know the Wildcats are in good position Marcus Page had other ideas you know I feel for this kid for those of you that listened to my show in the past you know that I'm a big Marcus Page fan he's my favorite non-UConn player he has been for the last couple of years 
He's hit some big-time shots in his career. None bigger than the shot with 4.7 seconds left. Ties the game up. And really such an acrobatic and athletic play. Uh, he sees he sees a six a six eight two hundred fifty pound whatever Daniel Oshafu fall right in front of him. Double clutches in the air with RT Diakono coming at him, and drills the three pointer. Classic Mar- Marcus Page. But obviously that wasn't enough because Chris Jenkins comes down and hits a big three pointer. Um, but as back to what I was saying about the runs, North Carolina was down 67 to 57 with 4:27 left in this game. They respond with a 17 to seven run to tie it, and then Chris Jenkins hits the biggest three pointer in college basketball history. Let's talk about Villanova now and how that was because Villanova calls timeout after Page hits the shot, and obviously 4.7 seconds left. You have you have a good amount of time to get the ball down the floor. You have a good opportunity to get a good look. 4.7 seconds left. You have an opportunity. And Jay Wright, who looks a lot like George Clooney, gets his first ring as a coach by really, folks, a play that anyone can run. A simple a simple play that looks good in intramural basketball play. It looks good when you play at the park. It looks good in high school ball. It looks good in the NBA. A simple, simple play drawn up by Jay Wright. Because when Archie Diakono gets the ball and is dribbling up the court, everyone thinks it's Archie Diakono taking the last shot. The senior, you know, the the glue of this team. uh, It would have been a Hollywood ending if Archie Diakono hit the game-winning shot, whether it had been a two-pointer, a three-pointer, whatever. The script was in the hands of the senior. But what does he do? He rips that script up and writes a different one by handing it off to Jenkins. And boy, Villanova could run that 10 more times and they probably wouldn't get a better look than what they got in that one shot. I mean, Chris Jenkins catches it in rhythm right at his waist and chest area, pulls up for three. Their best three-point shooter, by the way, Jenkins is. And knocks down the biggest three-pointer in arguably college basketball history. Whew. That was great stuff. And as soon as it was released, you kind of knew it was going in. Had a good look at it. You could tell it felt good. And, you know, from the broadcast angle that, that we had on TV... Because when the ball was in the air, I said it's in. I said it's it's in, you know. Because again, a simple, simple play, you know. Archie Diakono, he draw, he he dribbles up the court. He crosses over to his right. A simple dribble handoff to Jenkins, and Archie Diakono unofficially screens the two men that were on him, giving Jenkins just enough open space to knock down a three pointer. And Jenkins was ready. He was yelling at Archie Diakono to give him the ball. So he certainly wanted the ball in the big-time moment, and he drilled it. You talk about big-time shots in championship games. You mentioned Mario Chalmers. You mentioned Lorenzo Charles. That was the last buzzer beater, 1983, when NC State beat Houston in the final. That was an off. That was, that was obviously a buzzer beater is a buzzer beater, but that was off an air ball, and Charles just happened to be in the right place, right time. 
Jenkins lined this one up. He put, you know, he got his puppies in order, as Bill Rapture would say, and hit the big-time shot. Just an absolutely incredible, incredible shot. Jay Rice, as I mentioned, gets his first ring. No reaction after that. I mean, there's there's so many things that can go through your mind in that moment. It was like, oh, my God, we won the national championship. Uh, you know, it was Jay Wright. Folks, I'm sure Jay Wright had a moment where he was fired up and jumping up and down. I mean, he didn't do it right after the game, which is when people wanted to, but I'm sure he embraced it with his teammates, his family, and everything. Um, but, boy, this Villanova team in the last couple of years, they – they really got that goat off their back because coming to this tournament, a lot of people were not going to pick these Wildcats because of their recent struggles in the tournament. The last two years, coming into this year, they were a one seed last year and a two seed the year prior, and they couldn't make it to the second weekend. As a one seed, they lost to NC State in the second round last year. As a two seed, they lost to UConn in the second round a few years back. So a lot of people were tentative about this Villanova team. But guess who wasn't? Jay Wright, Archie Diacono, Chris Jenkins, Daniel Oshefu, Mikal Bridges. This team, I mean, their defense stepped up big time in the second half. It was a completely different Wildcats defense in the second half. North Carolina was doing whatever they wanted in the in the first half, it seemed. And... And despite North Carolina making a bunch of threes, Villanova was hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. Second half, boom, they make their big run. North Carolina had 11 threes. 11 for 17, that's efficient. You know, that's not 11 for 30, that's 11 for 17. That's a very, very high percentage. Villanova had eight, made eight threes, eight of 14, so also a good ratio. But in this first half, it seemed like North Carolina was going to kind of pull ahead in this one because I think we can all agree that going into this game, North Carolina was the best. On paper, they're the best team. I think they were the best team before this tournament even starts. You look at the depth of Bryce Johnson, Marcus Page, Joel Berry, Kennedy Meeks, Justin Jackson, Roy Williams is their head coach. I mean, this team can go 7-8 deep, 7-9 deep. Isaiah Hicks coming off the bench. Really a phenomenal team. But sometimes, I don't want to say that, I mean, it was it was obviously a great game. Bryce Johnson, 6 of 10 from the field, 14 points. Marcus Page in his last game, 21 points, 7 of 17 from the field. Uh, and if you have not seen the post-game interview with Marcus Page and Roy Williams, especially Marcus Page, I think it's something worthwhile to, to listen to. Uh, and not to get into it too much, but I think it also adds more emphasis that players like, and I'm not just saying it's just Cam Newton, but, you know, giving Cam Newton a pass after the Super Bowl because he lost the Super Bowl, great. Yeah, obviously it's tough. I'm not saying it's not, but, I mean, that was a, that was what? That was a double-digit game. Marcus Page really got his heart ripped out at the buzzer. And he was there for about 10, 10 minutes answering questions, elaborate answers. Cam Newton was giving two, three-word answers. But, again, not going to go down the road. Just throwing it out there. Um, boy, I'm going to miss Marcus Page, though. I'm going to miss Marcus Page. And so will Roy, so will Roy Williams as well. Wonderful be if that's his last game. That'd be, that'd be tough. Uh, 
Speaking of Page and the shot he hit with 4.7 seconds left, I already mentioned that, but that would go down as one of the, the best plays that's the secondary best play. You know, you, you talk about uh, – everyone will talk about the Chris Jenkins three-pointer. You know, that will be on every highlight reel. That will be in every intro video. Now, you'll see that everywhere in college basketball. When, you know, literally 4.7 seconds earlier, that could have been the greatest shot in college basketball history. Had North Carolina – uh, kept it into or gone into overtime, and the Tar Heels believe that they would have won it. And really, you, it's 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 you can agree with them because they had come back. They were down ten with less than five minutes to go, and they tied it with four point seven seconds left. What it, what an end to a tournament. Uh, we saw tons and tons of of big time shots, not just in this game, but. Uh, throughout the tournament, the Northern Iowa collapse, the Texas A&M comeback, uh, Middle Tennessee State and Arkansas, Little Rock, Little Rock being Michigan State and Purdue. Uh, UConn, they beat Colorado, fell to Kansas. Uh, really just a wrap-up a, a wrap wrap of a, of a big-time NCAA tournament. So, uh, and, and lastly, the UConn women's basketball team, they're playing Syracuse tonight. Brianna Stewart, Mariah Jefferson, Morgan Tuck playing their last games in a Husky uniform, and they will try to uh, make it 4-4 four for four and get the 11th national title in program history. Before we go to break, it's going to be the play of the week, play of the play of the day, really, play of the century, uh, as it's going to be Jim Nance's call on Chris Jenkins' game-winning shot. Enjoy it. Once a week... It's time to hear the play of the week. Here's a pitch on the way, a swing and a belt. Left field, way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Let's hear the call. James catches, puts up the three. Won't go. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History quarter. Yep, Jim Nance on Chris Jenkins three pointer nailed the call, and just as well as Jenkins nailed the shot. Villanova wins their second national title in program history, their first since 1985 when they defeated Patrick Ewing and the Georgetown Hoyas. And with that, we're going to head to our first commercial break. When we come back, Damon Gray rejoins for Embrace or Hate It. Later on in the show, I recap opening day, uh, part one and two, I guess. And also, Eric Spolstra, head coach of the Miami Heat. He deserves a little more credit than I think he's not getting. Stay tuned. Welcome back to WECS Radio 90.1 with Brian Dossler and Damon Gray. Damon has rejoined in studio and now has six Embracer Hayden's. It's a yeah. lot. You're making up amount. for lost time. Yeah, making up for lost time. So making these snappy, right? Making these snappy. Yeah. So 
First one does involve the UConn Huskies, and this is a statement, Brian, embrace it or hate it. Brianna Stewart winning tonight would make her the all-time greatest UConn women's basketball player. Yes, you could argue, you could argue it's uh, best of all time. Yeah, Tarazi obviously great, but four and four. I mean, come on, even Tarazi didn't do it. You know, I mean, this, I, this, this is she Stewart. You know, people say it's Stewart, but it's also Mariah Jefferson and yeah, and uh, and Morgan Tuck. But these three ladies are they're they win this tonight, that's immortality. Like, you literally cannot beat that. The only thing you can do is literally go perfect in, in their entire career, and they've only lost one game. Yeah. Was it Stanford? Stanford on the yeah. road in, in, a, in a December game. So it wasn't even like a conference game where it could jeopardize them getting the number one seed. Not that it matters because it's in, it's in Hartford <laughs> anyways. But even that was, was uh, I mean, it's, it, it's Stewart. I, I think s- even if they lose – it's it could Which be won't happen. No, no. There, the, there's a better chance of us finding a dinosaur outside today than them losing. The only thing that could top Jenkins' buzzer beater is if UConn loses tonight. True, true. I saw a stat. Uh, what was it last night? Brianna Stewart's wingspan is larger than LeBron James. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, baseball now. So as you said. Part two of opening day. I guess you could even say part three because of the wonderful weather we've been having. Should we even have opening days in the Northeast, or should we just put them all down south and all in domes? No. Because that's a big topic right now. In Major League Baseball? Yeah. No. Because this isn't even enjoyable. Say we they did have a game yesterday. It didn't snow, but it's still 22 degrees. People would still go to the games, though. Oh, it's brutal. They, I, I wouldn't even enjoy that. People would – if. People will still go to the games. Uh, people still enjoy the opening day feel and baseball coming back. Then it'd be like it almost be like an extended spring training. Like so, so what are you gonna have your, your regular season games at spring training facilities? No, no. What I'm saying is make sure like if you're gonna have a team in the Northeast area, have them go start their opening day against Arizona, against Tampa Bay or Toronto because they have a dome. They just they could have had the Yankees play Arizona. And the Red Sox play Toronto, but Toronto went down to Tampa, so two dome stadiums already cancel each other out. They could have planned that a lot better. I don't think. I mean, this. I can't remember the last time opening day was was canceled. Was canceled. It doesn't happen. Remember, that it wasn't often. too long ago. Okay, but it's one game. They're playing today. But it's opening day. Now you hype all this up, and then hype it just goes. Eh, no more hype. Yeah, I no I, I don't have it. Hype's gone because I mean the the, the Reds gone. the Red Sox would have the would have today off anyways if they played yesterday. So they like they Man, have they gone. have that day. Hype's gone. It's it's still there. Not today. Uh, sticking in baseball, Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper. Oh my God, Harper. Yeah, wow, wicked bad accent right there. Um, he had a fun hat, and you you, you don't like it? Make baseball fun again. I love it. I want to buy one. I wonder what Dusty Baker says about that. Maybe this is a thing in the clubhouse. Like, you know, every team, every year, I mean, in any sport, they, you know, they have their inside jokes. Maybe this is an inside joke. But if this, if this is not one, Dusty Baker must be just like, oh, God. Like, first game. Yeah. I mean, gra- granted that Bryce Harper can do whatever he wants in opening day because he has four four opening day home runs in his career, which is remarkable. But – because Dusty Baker in the offseason said that Bryce Harper is not a leader, which is kind of awkward to say because he won the MVP last year. And Bryce Harper acknowledged saying, yeah, I'm not a leader. And he's trying to work on those leadership 
uh, t- tangibles. You can't force somebody to be a leader. Right. It's it, 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 exactly. You are, you are if you are. You're not if you're not. Right. You know. Like I would say, Johnny Gomes is more of a leader figure than I don't know Pablo Sandoval. But you could say Pablo Sandoval in his prime was say, a better player. It right. Happens. That's fair. I mean, Johnny Gomes is a better leader than Bryce Harper. Yeah. But I mean, Easily. you think about Ross, you think about guys like that, even like, and that's something maybe that this Red Sox team, I mean, we can get off a tangent that they may be lacking in this year or something like that. We don't really know just yet. But I mean, yeah, I, I like the hat in personal because I think it's funny. Um, but in terms of him trying to be a leader, that's not a great way to start your year off if you're trying to work on that. NFL, uh, that whole thing with them in Vegas apparently just turned turned realistic uh jerry jones who used to be completely against it now came out and said it's a serious possibility so they putting another team there or uh moving moving the raiders to vegas that's now a serious possibility good for them you have no opinion on the whole vegas gambling thing it's look i mean you you go you listen on to on on ESPN and Sports Center and various uh, different sports networks and betting, Colin Coward, you know they talk they talk about uh, like over under, you know they they but is like it it's different when the players themselves are now getting money involved, and that's the fear because now they're directly affecting it. You as a fan, you're not doing anything. You can put money on it if you want. I mean, he, legally, technically, unless if you're in Vegas, how would money be different than like because a normal... it's legal in it's not really legal, but I guess you could say it's allowed in Vegas. It's not allowed anywhere else. To what? It's it's frowned upon. It's heavily frowned upon. To gamble on sports, heavily frowned upon. People 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 gamble regardless. Yeah, you have to go to Vegas though. and that's where the whole thing is. Yeah, you're now going to the source. People gamble every day on sporting events. Vegas is the prominent spot. But now you're putting the players in that hotbed. So I I don't get what you're trying to say. You're now putting the players in a position where they can technically now legally gamble. Players could bet regardless. (laughs) Like they they could do it on on any single day. Okay, is is but now there are more influences. No, you don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. All right, because I think if you're that dumb, you're going to do it regardless, anyways. All right, Pete Rose. I mean, if obviously it's more teasing if it's there in front of you. I'm not saying I'm not denying yeah. that. Like obviously it's it's essentially it's more teasing if you're in Vegas to bet than you wait and then you know in Massachusetts. But if you're a betting man, you're going to bet. Bottom line. Um, going back to the game last night, which is better? So this is more of a would you rather? Would you rather lose like UNC or would you rather lose like Oklahoma? At first, I said Oklahoma. But after thinking about it, I, I would North Carolina because no never because never. initially like today it kills it hurts but time heals wounds and I think eventually you'll say it was a great game he made a great shot there's not much we can do about it but you in know close we, games like that you can go back and say if I just made this shot right here we could have won but. Buddy, if you got blown out, if you make one more, four more, five more shots, you're still out. But I think as as a as a player, you have a lot of pride. And Buddy Heal losing by 44 points in his last Oklahoma game, that's kind of embarrassing. 
Marcus Pape is not embarrassed by losing this game. He's heartbroken. He's you know he's a lot of other emotions. So he'd rather be heartbroken than embarrassed. Yes, because Marcus Page played a great game. North Carolina played a great game. They you know they were down ten with seven minutes to go. They come back, or that down ten with five minutes to go. They come back and tie it. Oklahoma never had a shot in that game. They I yeah. Mean, so then at that point you said, well, there's nothing more I could do about that. There's nothing more we could have done. But still to to know that I performed that way in that big stage when I when really Buddy Heel didn't perform at the high level that we expected him to. But there's I, I don't know. I'd rather short term like I'd the, rather go Oklahoma, long term for the rest of my life I'd rather go North Carolina because yeah, but then you, when I'm sitting in my old rocking chair I can say that was one heck of a game and I played in arguably the greatest college basketball game in, in, in And you lost history. because you didn't make one more shot. I, I w- we but, got outplayed, and there was nothing more we could do about it. But I, I wouldn't look at it that way. I would, I would look at it as Villanova hit a, a championship shot. I guess it could go both ways. You could, but, I mean. On a fun note, John Scott, returning back in the news, he's making his first NHL debut since the All-Star game. Got called back up to Montreal. It's a weird situation. Yeah, poor, very awkward. It, it's it, it's one of those poor guy kind of things, but hey, he's he's back up at the uh, the professional level. Okay, um, that's all. Okay, that's all she wrote. Hmm. Oh, that's all. If you're embracing your hates, that's it. Gotcha. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, I don't remember what's on my outline. Um, opening day, NBA playoffs. Uh, Spolstra and Kobe Bryant playing his last game. Uh, he only has six left. I believe. Uh, so uh, stay tuned. That was bad. Stay tuned. 15 minutes left of the show. Feel free to call in 860-456-2164. Once again, 860-456-2164. You're listening to WECS. Welcome back to WECS Radio 90.1 with Brian Dostler and Damon Gray. We've already digested, talked about the National Championship game. Uh, we just did embrace or hate it with Damon Gray. Moving on to the diamond, uh, more to come. I'll talk about Eric Spolstra and how he, he deserves more credit as a head coach and Golden State and Kobe Bryant uh, coming down to the end of the season. But with baseball, the Red Sox and Yankees, as already mentioned, have yet to play a game, so it's kind of opening day number three across Major League Baseball. Red Sox are at Cleveland at 110. New York is facing the Astros. Uh, but some games that were played yesterday, we already mentioned Bryce Harper, uh, opening day, his fourth career home run opening day. How about Daniel Murphy? Goes from the Mets to the Nationals in the offseason after signing that three-year, $37.5 million deal. And in the top of the 10th, he gets the game-winning RBI single in his Nationals debut. Um, some great pitching performances yesterday. Clayton Kershaw really did Clayton Kershaw things in the regular season. Seven innings, one hit, no runs, nine strikeouts, and a 15 nothing win over the Padres. And, you know, the Padres in last offseason, they make the big moves where they get Will Myers. They, you know, they trade for Craig Kimbrell. They get Justin Upton. And now you're thinking, okay, you know, this, they, they acquire Will, Will Middlebrooks. Maybe he'll revamp his career. Okay, maybe this team will, will compete in the NL West didn't do it, and really kind of got worse in the offseason. They traded Kimbrell, 
was well, this this year this team got the worst because they trade away Kimbrel. They get a lot of young talent, including Manuel Margot from the Red Sox, but uh, it, it's it's not looking good in San Diego. Um, it's the largest victory in MLB opening day history. Again, that fifteen nothing victory. Uh, Chase Utley from the leadoff spot, three for five, two RBIs. Adrian Gonzalez, three for four, with three RBIs. Jake Arrieta returns to his Cy Young mode, going seven innings, allowing only two hits, one walk, and six strikeouts in a nine nothing victory over the Angels. Uh, and Arrieta again. I mean, this let's let's not forget, folks, that post All Star break, this guy had a point seven nine ERA in one hundred and seven and a third innings. Point seven nine. That's good. First of all, for any reliever, that's good for doing that after what? 20 innings. This guy did it over 100 innings in the second half of the year. Uh some rookie news as Rockies rookie shortstop Trevor Story hit two home runs off Zach Granke. It was Granke's debut for the Diamondbacks. Uh Story is a player that I saw play in New Britain in my internship last season. Uh he hit in the two spot and you know, last year, after talking to some people with the Rockets uh, that I was working with and watching him play, you know, Story is uh, was a big part of their future, and a big reason why that they traded one of the reasons why they traded away Troy Tulowitzki to the Blue Jays was one to get pitching because they desperately need pitching, but two because they had Trevor Story at shortstop, and they knew that he was their up and coming uh, shortstop for years to come. So in his debut, again, he gets two home runs, goes two for six with four RBIs against Granke and the Diamondbacks. Uh, sticking with Connecticut news with Major League Baseball players, uh, Berlin, Connecticut, their their guy Matt Carasetti is starting the season in Double A Hartford with the Colorado Rockies. And, of course, whenever I bring up Matt Carasetti, I have to bring up that my brother hit a, hit a home run off him. Pretty cool. Playing the loss the game, 5-1, I believe, and my brother was the one guy that got a run off him. Uh, I had to fetch the ball in, in the woods, in, in the backwoods, but I was able to get it. I almost fell, Damon, I almost fell in in the river, pond, lake, I mean, just whatever. Because like, I had to bounce myself on, on, a, on a branch, and I almost tipped over. That would have been something. I it wish was a, I was there for that. It was a pretty I probably cold. Probably to give you that extra push. It was extra measure. It was a pretty cold day. <laughs> it was. It was like. An, it was an early. It was an April game. So it, would, it wouldn't was have it been this warm. Cold outside. It wasn't this cold? Probably about forty-six degrees. Oh, but I it wish was, it was forty-six. It was. It would. It would have been cold. It would have been really bad if I fell in as well. But I got it, and it's in his room, and forever. Uh, he has a home run that he off Matt Carasetti. Um, so that was pretty cool. And what else happened yesterday? The the San Francisco Giants, they went back-to-back-to-back to back to back against the Brewers. Brandon Belt, Joe Panic, and Buster Posey all homered. Madison Bumgarner didn't have his best stuff. Five innings, five hits, three earned, five walks, and six strikeouts. But he did get the victory for the Giants. Um, let's move on to the NBA and the playoffs as six teams in the Eastern Conference have clinched the Cavs, Raptors, Hawks, Celtics, Heat, and Hornets. Meanwhile, the Pacers and Pistons are on the brink of the 7-8 seed. Still looking to clinch. Folks, we're into single digits games left of the season. Uh, talk about let's, – let's talk about the, the Golden State Warriors. And they're 69-8 right now. They need to go 4-1 their last five games to get to 73 wins. Tonight, they're on national television playing against the Minnesota Timberwolves on TNT at 1030. 
Same deal on Thursday versus the Spurs, 10.30 on TNT. And the last three games are at Memphis, at San Antonio, and home versus the Grizzlies. Uh, so I think they're going to get it because I think that they will beat Minnesota tonight. I think they will split the Spurs series, and or two-game series, if you will. And Memphis, you know, right now, it's it's unbelievable that Memphis is the five seed right now in the Western Conference Finals, uh, or Western Conference, excuse me. Uh, with all the injuries that they have had, they trade away Jeff Green. Uh, Paul, excuse me, Marcus Hall has been out for a majority of the season, and Mike Conley Jr. just got ruled out for the rest of the year as well. So uh, with no Conley, I really think the Warriors can win both of those games pretty easily. Uh, we still have seven minutes left of the show. We're wrapping up a little bit early today. Feel free to call in 860-456-2164. Once again, 860-456-2164. Before the break, I mentioned that Eric Spolcher, the head coach of the Miami Heat, should probably be getting a little more credit than than he's getting. Now, I'm not saying that we should be, you know, talking about Spolcher every single day, but I just kind of want to point out to you folks of how good of a job Spolcher has done. Because a lot of people just say his success was LeBron James's success, and because LeBron was there, that's why Spolcher is good. That's why the Heat were good which obviously having LeBron James and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade on their team makes it a little bit easier to coach than to say uh, Byron Scott in Los Angeles right now with the Lakers. Obviously it's a little bit easier. I'm not denying that. But Spolcher as a head coach, I believe, has done a very, very good job. It's his eighth year with the club. And in those eight years, he's made the postseason seven times. It was his third year once when LeBron James came to Miami. So his first two years, he had no LeBron. He made the postseason those two years. And although, again, it may seem easy, quote-unquote, to get to the finals and to win two NBA championships with LeBron James and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, you got to mesh a lot of high egos together. you got to make sure they're still clicking all cylinders. you got to make sure they're playing the best basketball that they possibly can at the right time. And some people believe that two out of four was, was a failure which is fine, but he still got two NBA championship rings from that. You know, so it, it wasn't a complete disaster. It could have been a lot worse, let's put it that way. But talk of I mean, th- this in the last two years, I think, embodies why Spolstra is not a good coach, but a great coach. He loses LeBron James, who goes back to the Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers. His team was only one game out of the playoffs when the regular season ended last year. Just one game. You lose the best player, arguably, of all time. And you only don't make the playoffs by one game. Also, Chris Bosh, yes, he's on the roster, but hasn't been healthy. Last year, he missed the last 30 games of the year because of heart issues. This year, he's missed the last 23 games and moving forward, most likely, because of calf issues. So, really, since... (laughs) Since LeBron left, it's been no LeBron for Eric Spolstra in the Heat, and it's been no Chris Bosh for the majority. And Dwayne Wade is solid, but he's 34 years old. You know, you can't expect him to go out and get and drop 30 every night like he used to. But so they got no Bosh, no LeBron James. They trade away their starting point guard from from that team, from those teams, and Mario Chalmers, albeit Chalmers is not an All Star point guard, but Pieces of those championship teams are no longer there. Ray Allen, Shane Battier, Chris Anderson, they're all gone. 
They're not there anymore. But you look at this team, and they are very much not only in the in the postseason, but a legit contender in the postseason. They're 44-32. and 32. You know, they're winning a high bulk of their games. You know, Dwayne Wade averaging 19 points. Hassan Whiteside is obviously a huge part of this team. Goran Dragic. Joe Johnson, Luau Deng, Tyler Johnson, they're getting the most out of him. This team has gone from three superstars to, you know, Bosch again. He's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Dwayne Wade getting older by the, by the day. And, again, they lose the best player in the game, arguably. So I think just just want to throw that. I think we should give Spolstra more credit. I'm not saying that he's that that you know he should be he's an instant Hall of Famer and and you know that he should be in the likes of Pat Riley and Phil Jackson. I'm not saying that, but I think he should get a little more credit than he deserves. With that being said, also I believe Brad Stevens deserves Coach of the Year this year. What he's done with the Celtics has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, a couple minutes left of the show. Just want to mention that next Wednesday could be a very conflicting time for basketball and and a lot of emotions because. The Golden State Warriors could be going for the seventy third for their seventy third victory against the Grizzlies. That's a ten thirty start. Also at ten thirty on ESPN versus the Jazz is Kobe Bryant's last game as a Laker. Just going out there, just saying for your TV programming pleasure, there might be a you might be contradicting yourself between flipping between the Golden State Warriors and Kobe Bryant. Personally, me, although I want to witness history. Actually, history is on both sides of this. Uh, I got to go with watching Kobe Bryant. That's me personally. Um, you know, when Kobe's final moment, you know, we, we in the last couple of years we've been kind of spoiled with Mario Rivera and, and and what he did with the Yankees in his final appearance, uh, and especially Derek Jeter. I mean, a walk-off single, a vintage Jeter. Uh, he gets jammed on the inside part of the plate and fists it the other way, and the Yankees win a walk-off against the Orioles. You know, that's that's Hollywood. That's that's picturesque. That's what you want. But I think the moment when Kobe uh, finally retires, you know, th- those last couple seconds, the last minute, could be even bigger than Jeter's moment. Could be even bigger than Mariano's moment. Because basketball is a global sport. More so than baseball. Basketball is a global sport that... Uh, touches a lot of people, and is it's much more popular than baseball. So a lot more people will be watching this game, and obviously things are going well with Jeter. You know, great shorts of all time with the Yankees, and and uh, Kobe with being on the Lakers. You know, two two big time franchises. But uh, I think that the moment could be even bigger for Kobe Bryant. I hope that it's a close game down the stretch. Everyone does. But also let's not forget that the Utah Jazz, they're only one game ahead of the eighth seed right now over the Rockets. So awkward moment here, but the Jazz might be playing for the playoffs in this game. So they're not really going to kind of let Kobe Bryant do whatever he wants in his final game. You know, they're they're not going to let him, you know, hit a Kobe jumper at the buzzer. Oh, sorry, well, Kobe, we'll, we'll let you do that so we don't go to the postseason. That's not going to happen. That will not be happening. 
Well, unfortunately, we're going to wrap up the show a little bit early today. Thank you for listening all show long. I'll be back next week from 11 to 12. Also, you can listen to my show with Spencer Davis, Patrick Murtha, and Jermaine Page on Thursday from 1 to 2. And that's that, folks. Chris Jenkins sends Villanova in college basketball galore as Villanova wins their second national championship in program history. You have been listening to On the Hour at the Clock Tower here on WECS Radio 90.1. Have a great rest of the week here. Rest of the week, folks.